must know the times, answers to 25 essential questions on end-time prophecy, a powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. The world is spiraling out of control at an alarming pace. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods devastate entire communities. Global pandemics kill hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness threaten our societies. Political instability and the threat of war increase hostilities between nations. The birth pangs of distress are getting more intense each day. The question is, what do all these things mean, and where is this world headed? Unfortunately, at a time when people need answers the most, many do not know about the end times. You Must Know the Times, Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy, is an eye-opening book that is specifically designed to educate readers on a wide range of subjects concerning the last days. This book will equip you to discern the times, in which we now live. You will learn what the Bible says about the signs of the times, the conflict in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, the Battle of Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, the Return of the Lord, and many more essential topics. Discover the powerful message the Book of Revelation has for Christians, and the perils that await a rebellious world. The Lord warns, look, I am coming like a thief. The one who is alert and remains clothed, is blessed. Therefore, it is vitally important that you must know the times. Be aware, be informed, and most of all, be prepared for things to come. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times, by Dennis James Woods, at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Praise the Lord, everyone. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution. The Revelation chapter 1, verse number 3 says, Blessed is he that readeth and hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. You have just entered another exciting episode of the Revelation Revolution. Praise the Lord, everyone. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods. We're so excited to be with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution. I'm just telling you, we have been getting so much feedback from all over the country. And uh, this broadcast, uh, this podcast is being spread by those that have just 
really began to get into the study and to be captivated by a fresh anointing on the word of the book of the Revelation. I tell you, God, it has been with me many, many years. Oh, I would just imagine that when I was a young sailor, glory to God, in 1976, glory to God, having uh, read my first How Lindsay book while I was on board the USS England, uh, cruiser guided missile 2-2, my commanding officer was uh, John M. Poindexter, Dr. John M. Poindexter, who went on to be uh, President Ronald Reagan's national security advisor and um, who was involved in the Iran-Contra scandal. Him and Oliver North will be talking about that later. I actually talk about that in my uh, book, Exalt Thyself as the Eagle, a prophetic call to turn this nation around. You really need to get that book because it talks about the United States and biblical prophecy and what I do is I correlate the prophecies of Obadiah and bring them into uh, the 21st century. And the reason why I do that, uh, just so you'll know, is because part of Obadiah's prophecy, though the grammatical historical context of it was a prophecy against the Edomites, uh, glory to God, the bottom line is, is at the close of the prophecy, it then shifts to the day of the Lord, which is an eschatological time period and so the prophecy isn't just historic it's also futuristic and so therefore many of the characteristics of the great nation of the Edomites actually align a lot with the United States of America you will be amazed uh, by uh, how God gave me the wisdom to correlate things and to bring it into to, uh, modern day uh, technology and history so you should get a copy of that book you can get it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble .com. You can get the ebooks at iTunes, Google Books, or you can actually uh, uh, give us a call and say, Dr. Woods, I would like to have you send me a copy, uh, an autographed copy of the book, uh, and I will do so. You could call me at uh, 708-272-4444. That's 708-272-4444. Or you could actually send me an email. Uh, my email address is life, L-I-F-E, the number two legacy books that's l-e-g-a-c-y books b-o-o-k-s at a-t-t dot net and so um uh, you could uh, do that, order the book. You can go, or you can go to my book publisher's website, uh, Life to Legacy. That's Life, L I F E, the number two, Legacy, L E G A C Y dot com. And you can send me an email through that as well. Um, I tell you, uh, it is a great book, but uh, I just. I'm so excited about this particular chapter because we're going to be dealing with is the church in Revelation after chapter three? Is the church still in Revelation after chapter three of the book of the Revelation? Uh, the dispensational pre-tribulation and thought is is that the church is not found. The word church is not found. Uh, and the church itself is not found after the, the close of the third chapter, which deals with the church of Laodicea. And 
and there they claim that uh, it doesn't resurface until a revelation revelation 19 where we see the Lord returning in glory with all of his saints so we and then it's also mentioned at the uh, uh, marriage supper of the lamb and uh, and Re revelation uh, 22 also has the word churches in it we're going to be covering all of that uh, and we're going to be getting that in our study and so and, and this is a this has always been a big concern of Christians all over the world because here in America like we said in our last broadcast because we are a nation of religious freedom and we have laws and freedoms and all that stuff we have churches on every corner we're just churches are everywhere okay and because of that because of our, that's how our government is set up and because people have the, all of these freedoms uh, we have not experienced persecution. We haven't experienced the things, the onslaught of tortures and horrors that filled the first three centuries of church history. This Christianity is very bloody, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we read an account last week uh, concerning the tortures that happened under Marcus Aurelius, they, they, they're even worse under a successive emperors such as the completely mad and perverted Caligula. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, there is a vast difference, vast difference between the milieu, the environment in which people were Christians in the days of the apostles and two to three centuries afterward. Completely, listen, when people were becoming Christians in those days, they understood it could be a death sentence. They came into it and they didn't have any online Bibles. They didn't have a written Bible. They didn't have any of that. They had some letters that circulated from some of the apostles. The bottom line was this, but it was the same Jesus. It was the same Holy Spirit and it was the same body of Christ. 21st century Christians are no different so far as, so far as are we filled with the same spirit? Do we believe in the same Lord? Now we have a little bit more materialistically. I mean, we've got light bulbs and cars and jets and internet and electricity and all of these things that make life a lot easier. But you have to understand that we can't look at them as primitive because that's more of an anachronism and anachronism is putting something that is current back on something that is in the past. It's all relative. In other words, those were modern times in Jesus's day as far as they were concerned. 
they had the latest weapons they, they had the latest this they had the latest that and inventions and whatever things they had that was their reality that was their modern times okay so the bottom line is we may have more materialistically we may do things differently we may not get on a horse to go down to go to the next town oh glory to god but we still have the same human feelings the same human desires the same human issues the same need for redemption the same need for, for the forgiveness of sins so those things don't change even though how we do things do and so I don't the whole purpose of these whole series of teachings ladies and gentlemen is it's not to put the spotlight on myself I want the spotlight to be <clears throat> excuse me on the word of God I want the spotlight to be <clears throat> excuse me on the book of the revelation I want the spotlight to be on what thus saith the Lord and I know that we have so much literature that we could just wade through I mean over our heads in literature and commentaries and we're going to be looking at a lot of this stuff uh, a lot of this material during this segment and we're going to pull out a lot of references we're going to go to the scriptures we're going to answer the question is the church still in revelation after chapter number three and if it is why can't they see the church why can't dispensationalists why come why come people that teach pre-trib why they can't see the church is there is there a preconditioning that goes into the mindset of those that are uh uh uh, uh that promote or uh, uh, adhere to that teaching that will just be gone before all the problems. And let me just state, let me just put this in as a footnote. If pre-trib is right, praise God, right? We're all gone. We're out of here. Hallelujah. Listen, and when we get to heaven, I will be the first one to say, man, you know, y'all was right. Dude, listen, I don't have no problem with that. But the question is, ladies and gentlemen, what if it's not right? What's at stake if millions of Christians are still here after all their lives they've been taught they would be gone has this happened in history before yes it happened to the Thessalonians it's the 
purpose, one of the purposes is why Paul wrote Second Thessalonians. Somebody had written a bogus letter as it was from an apostle under apostolic authority, and they had told the Christians at, in the, at the church of Thessalonica that the persecution that you were going through, notice they were going through persecution. Thessalonica was one of the most persecuted churches around. They were going through, and someone said, you know, the, because, the reason why you're going through this is that the day of the Lord has already come. It's already started. Well, they had been taught by Paul in first in that first epistle and while he was with them, teaching them glory to God is that the, the that that Christians were not appointed to wrath. That 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 we didn't have to uh, the day of the Lord would not catch us glory to God as those who are sleeping. He says, of those days, I have no need to write to you, for you know full well that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Glory to God. So the day of the Lord, we equated that in my last teaching, those of you that went there, that, that the day of the Lord is the wrath of God. And this is why Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 says, for we're not appointed to wrath. And the position that I teach is called pre-wrath, the pre-wrath rapture fact. That's, that's where I get it from. It's based on what Paul said. We're not appointed to wrath. Technically, the Bible never said we were not appointed to tribulation. Jesus said, in the world, you should have tribulation. And I know the scholars that say, well, that's tribulation in a uh, practical, that's tribulation in a practical sense and not a technical sense and, or vice versa. That's, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it wasn't talking about the tribulation of revelation. You know, of course, they're going to do all the scholarly stuff. You know, and so the bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, our reality is no different than their reality back then. You had the religious scholars who controlled the thought in the schools of what the people that were educated in Judaism, as Paul said, the Jews' religion. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all of these people, these were the ones who were your, your, your literate ones, the, the scholars and the doctors, the lawyers and all of that, the part of the Sanhedrin and all this stuff. They were the ones who controlled everything. They were the ones who interpreted the Bible. But just as they were not able to discern the Son of Man coming on the scene because they expected someone else and for him to come another way, just as there was mystery around the first coming of the Lord or the first advent of Christ, so shall there be, if not much more, more unknowns as these things are fulfilled. And so this is why we have to be careful when we have a doctrine that has everything nailed out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. And we just got it all sequential and we just got everything down pat. When I taught last segment, ladies and gentlemen, I told you about the seven thunders who uttered glory to God and they, they were, he was for, John was forbidden to write it. Glory to God. So God was letting us know that there was a piece of this revelation he left out. 
And it's interesting how you can read commentaries and you actually have people with DDs and THD and all these other Ds behind their name actually trying to figure out the significance of what was not what John did not write. I mean, it's ridiculous how a human being that puts his pants on and and and, and gets hungry and has to go to sleep and will will, will be born and die in 80 or 70, 80, 90 years. Glory to God, how we can get into the mind of heaven and go into heaven and figure out what the seven Trump, what the seven thunders, what, what the uh, what their uh, uh, their absence of John writing, what that meant. I mean, it's ridiculous. These people know more than God. And that's the problem. Because we live in an information society, we live in a scientific society, we want things play, uh, explained to us at a scientific, systematized way. And if it's not done that way, then we kind of reject those things because we need to connect all of the dots. But I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of dots that are just simply not going to be connected until they be fulfilled. And a lot of this stuff, we'll look back in hindsight and said, oh, that's how God did it. There's a, a, uh, a passage of scriptures. I believe it's in first Kings, second Kings Chronicles. I, 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 I can't pull it up in my mind right now, but basically it's when the, I believe it was the Assyrian army had surrounded this city in Judah and they were starving them to death. And what happened was it got so bad that People were eating each other's babies. They were eating doves, dung, donkey heads were going to be and so for a lot. People were starving to death. The prophet Elijah came. It was either Elijah or Elijah because I, I, I'm not pulling up the exact scripture, but I'm just giving you a paraphrase of it. He came and said, tomorrow, this city is going to have plenty of food and the famine will be over. Now, granted, people were dropping dead in the streets. Uh, they, they were so desperate they were eating They were eating each other's kids, okay? That's how bad it was. And so one of the rulers in the city heard, heard the prophet say that. He said, man, are you crazy? What do you mean this famine is going to be over? People are starving to death. How, there, there's nothing that could happen. We have the Assyrian army surrounding our city. We can't get in and out. And instead of taking the city over with the Assyrian army, said, we're going to starve them out. And it was working. And so what Elijah said, tomorrow everybody's going to eat. It's going to be full. We're going to have food everywhere and all this stuff. The guy came to Elijah and said, you are crazy. And Elijah looked at that man and said, since you doubted the word of God, or the words to this effect, since you doubted the word of God, he said, you will see it with your eyes, but you would not partake in it. So the prophecy was given, ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow we're going to eat. Tomorrow the famine's going to be over. God didn't say how. God didn't say what he was going to use or how he was going to do it. We were just given the prophecy. What happened? Well, there were three lepers 
sick. And they looked out on the Syrians' food and said, look, man, if we stay in here, we're going to die. If we go in there and ask them for some food, they may kill us. He said, so we might as well go and ask these folks for some food. So they got their nerve up. They, they, they came. So the Bible tells us, as, as these lepers, three lepers, I want you to get this now, as they approach the Assyrian camp, God made the Assyrian army hear thousands of troops and horses and horsemen. The Assyrians got so scared that they ran off and left everything. Their horses, their cattle, their provisions, their, wa their water, their silver, their gold. They left everything and ran off. Now, Elijah gave the prophecy. But how God worked the prophecy out was a mystery. No one knew that God would use three sick lepers and the sound of their footsteps multiplied into the entire uh, a humongous army that they feared were coming to attack them. So they got so scared they ran off on the foot and left everything. And just as Elijah or the prophet, which was Elijah, Elijah, say it the people saw it and they ran out of the gate of the city and the man who said this is impossible this can't happen was standing at the gate he saw it with his eyes but the people ran him over and stamped him to death fulfilled exactly like the prophet said but how it was fulfilled remained a mystery until it happened ladies and gentlemen this is why we have to be careful with the book of the revelation Revelation gives us prophecies, but it doesn't tell us how God is going to fulfill all these things. It doesn't give us the details. It gives us the prophecy. And this is the reason why they missed Jesus the first time. Michael 5.1 says he would be born in Bethlehem. But it didn't tell us how Mary and Joseph were going to get to Bethlehem. It's because Caesar Augustus uh, uh, imposed a census. And everybody had to come back and put their names on the census. That's why they came back.
God used the government of Rome to bring them back to that city. That wasn't in the prophecy. It just said that Jesus was going to be born there. So when we think we have everything so neatly tied up and pre-trib is so great at that, they have every t, uh, a t crossed, every I dotted, and they just know more than God on this. And man, they got it down. It's going to go like this. It's going to go like this. And we're going to be gone here. And everything's going to just work out when the book of the Revelation has a message for Christians. Ladies and gentlemen, will you not hear me? There is a message for the church in Revelation. God did not give it to us. So scholars could write their commentaries and sell their books and professors teach it in colleges just so the uh, uh, the elite of the uh, academia could have all of the answers. That has never been the case. That has never been the case. When it comes to things pertaining to the kingdom of God, that academia had all the answers. Since when? In this generation, God is going to raise up pastors and preachers, teachers that have insight. And it's going to strengthen the church for the times that are coming. And the information is found in our Bible. Glory to God. Let us now turn to Revelation chapter 10. We're going to be reading verses 8 through 11. Revelation 10, 8, verses 8 through 11. I'm reading in the King James Version. I switch versions often, so I'm in the King James right now. Verse number eight, and the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, go and take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And when, and I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. It shall make thy belly bitter, but in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said to me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So ends chapter 10 of Revelation.
this is a very interesting passage for many, many reasons, which we're going to be covering. But it is, it is, it, it, it sets the stage for the teaching that I'm going to be doing during this segment. Again, let's read verse 11. It says, And he said to me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. The question is, who are the peoples, nations, tongues, and kings that John is referring to? It is interesting that the order that was given to John after he ate this little book, and we're going to be talking about it. He said, you must prophesy. You, John. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. By this time, we're 90 A.D., 95, 96 A.D. John and, and John is an old man banished to the island of Patmos, probably in his 80s, 80s, 90s. John's an old man. He's the only apostle that died of old age. Glory to God. He's an old man banished to an island, Patmos. How was John going to prophesy to peoples, nations, tongues, and kings? That's the question. How was he going to do it? The second question is, who are these peoples, nations, tongues and kings who are they well to get an idea we have to ask the question to whom was the book of revelation written that, that, that's that's the main thing we have to understand we can answer that question once we figure out whom the book of revelation is written but before we even get into that Let's, 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 I'm going to read to you three commentaries of what they say about this. The first commentary is the MacArthur New Testament commentary. The book of Revelation. John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur is one of the top evangelicals, uh, theologians, pastors around. Uh, John MacArthur is well known, very big very famous has commentary sets bibles names that I, I mean you name it he's he's a scholar of scholars and 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 a great preacher i enjoy his teaching but this is one of the things he's i'm not he's preached rib i'm not but uh but anyway this is what he says again indicates john was being commissioned a second time because and the footnote because he says thou must prophesy again so, so John MacArthur is trying to give us some insight. He says, again, indicates that John was being commissioned a second time. Okay. Because the first time in Revelation 119, he was just told to write. 
the prophecies, to write the rest of the prophecies God was going to give him. What was what he was about to learn would be more devastating than anything yet revealed, yet more glorious. So in other words, what John what John MacArthur is saying is is that everything from Revelation 1 to Revelation 9 was one segment and then from Revelation 10 on to Revelation 22 was another part and the the part that came after Revelation chapter 10 is the is the again that he's referring to which is absolutely asinine I don't know how he came up with that but it, it's crazy because you have to understand that John is this is just as one episode of John being in heaven. He's seeing all these things. He's writing all of these things. And John is not breaking it up to a revelation part one and a revelation part two, where revelation part one is, is, is what you, the things you, you wrote before. And then revelation 10 through 22 is the second part, which is more powerful, which is more revealing and all of that stuff. And therefore the angel told him, you got to prophesy again. Well, John wasn't, prophesying in revelation at all he was told to write glory to god we're going to come back to that point let's read another commentary it says if we are correct in our interpretation of the of the little scroll as a message to believers about to enter into a final period of persecution then this renewed commission relates to prophecies following the seventh trumpet the, the seals of chapter 6 except the 5th and the trumpets of chapter uh, chapters 8 and 9 are judgments directed against an ungodly world after the parenthesis of chapters 10 and 11 which treats the church in the last days John will uh, uh, turn again to prophecy against society and its hostility towards God now, all of that sounds great but where are they getting this stuff from Let me read another commentary. All right. Oh, that was the New International Commentary. The New International Commentary of the New Testament. Okay. This is Tyndale commentaries I'm about to read to you. This is how they started out uh, with italics. Again, it's a little strange. For up to now, John has not so much prophesied as heard and seen things. But he has also recorded his visions and throughout it has been clear that he will proclaim the things that he has seen. He has spoken of his book as prophecy. So he so he can be said in a measure to have prophesied already and what he has recorded. Now, wait a minute. There's they're relating John's writing the stuff down as him prophesying. Well, no, that's crazy, too, because that's John taking notes on what he saw. John wasn't prophesying anything up until he was told to prophesy, glory to God, in Revelation chapter 10. See, at, at first he was told to write, and we're going to get to the scriptures, but I just want to show you how we're getting all these different opinions from all these different scholars, which basically means don't nobody know. And this, they're doing their scholarly thing. They're looking at the text and they're trying to figure it out. And they come up with some conclusions of why John was told to prophesy again. Why was he told that? And that he himself had to prophesy to nations, kings, and tongues, and peoples. He was, John was on the island of Patmos. How was that going to be possible? 
In Revelation, John is told to write 11 times. For example, Revelation 1:19. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. John was told to write. Okay? So John is taking notes all while he's in heaven. He's writing this, he's writing that. He was just about to write with the seven thunders. He was forbidden, forbidden to write that. He's having conversations with angels and all this stuff. He's just got some, a lot of stuff going on. John is really going like, wow, this is really, really great. This is really cool. You know, I'm glad I'm here, you know, that type of thing. So when we go back to Revelation 10, let's look at the verse again. John is told to eat and digest a little book that was given to him by a mighty angel. This angel came down from heaven. He had legs of pillars of fire, and, and, and he, had a, he, was, he was this magnificent creature. Glory to God. You have to understand about angels. Angels are not procreated beings. They don't have attributes of a mother and father. God, God made each one of these beings individually. They're all different, just as each star in the sky is different. Just as, like snowflakes are different. I mean, I'm not comparing angels to snowflakes, but I'm just saying these things are all different. They're not procreated created we're procreated we came out from our mother and father we share that our mother and father's dna that's because we're procreated these aren't procreated these are beings that god just made each one of these angels is different this is an angel as a matter of fact let's just go back to it i've, I've got to read it because it is so awesome glory to god of what this angel looks like and, and what he does and what he says look at this uh, uh, uh chapter 10 verse 1 it says i saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud now just i want you to think about this Think about this. On a cloudy, partly cloudy day, those puffy white clouds that reach up to the stratosphere, they're really not uh, a stratosphere clouds, but I think they're called accumulus clouds. These are these big, puffy white clouds look like a big old piece of cotton candy floating up in the sky. Imagine this humongous creature, this angel who is clothed in a cloud and a rainbow upon his head. Now just think about a rainbow. When you think of a rainbow, rainbows aren't little. They cover the spans. These, these things are huge. You know, when you see rainbows, right? His face were as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. Now, now, ladies and gentlemen, I know people say they be seeing angels and stuff. And, and the Bible does tell us we entertain angels unaware in, in Hebrews chapter 13. I understand that. And they can look like people. They can interact with like people. But if you see them like they really are, ladies and gentlemen, we would have to chain you down somewhere. We would have to tie you up. Because you would lose it if you ran into one of these, glory to God, in the alley. Well, this one wouldn't fit in the alley, but this is this a really big angel. But anyway, his legs and feet of fire, he had this little book in his hand. Okay, so I wanted to describe that to you because I, want you, I just want you to kind of understand where we're at. And what John was dealing with. So now John gets this little book, this angel, this humongous, glorious angel has this little book. 
And he says, John, here, take this book. And when you eat it, I'm going to tell you something about this. And your mouth is going to be sweet, but in your belly it's going to be bitter. Glory to God. You see, the word of God is sweet, is glorious, is wonderful, is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good. But when you a human digests the holiness and the magnitude and the revelation of God in our finite state, mortal state, imbibing, ingesting God's word, at one level it's sweet. But at another level, because it's mixing with fallen humanity, it causes bitterness. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we find ourselves being servants and messengers of a God that we are not deserving to serve. Because, because he's beyond good. We can't even describe him. So now John is given a prophetic message in a book, and he's told John, I want you to eat it. I want you to imbibe it. I want you to ingest it. And when you do so, even though it's going to make your belly sick, glory to God, it's going to become your prophetic message. It's going to become your prophetic message that you have to give. See, all before John was told, write this and write this and write that. So now it's time out for taking notes, John. I want you to get this little book and I want you to eat it. And I want you to prophesy to the peoples, nations, tongues and kings John I want you to prophesy again oh John never left heaven. He was called up in Revelation chapter 4, 1. He was called up into, he was caught up. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was called, he said, open up the, the, he saw a door open in heaven and he said, come up here. He saw a voice talking with him like a trumpet. He said, come up hither. He came up there. He started writing it. Jesus told him, he said, write now the things that, that, that you have seen, the things that are coming and all of that, write it down. So John is walking through heaven. He's writing everything down. But now he encounters this big angel who has a little book in his hand. And he says, John, now I want you to eat that book. I want you to digest this. And I want you now to prophesy. Glory to God. The word prophesy is only found twice in the book of Revelation. Glory to God. Revelation 10, 11, and 11, 3. Glory to God. Prophesy again. So that means John was already prophesying. Hmm. 
But now he's got a new message. You see, if we let's 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 take take advantage of our vantage point 2,000 years later from John. John was on the Isle of Patmos 98 days. So let's take advantage of our vantage point. Our vantage point, we're 2,000 years on the other side of this guy. Okay, now, let's go. What do we know about John? Well, he was a disciple that Jesus loved. He was the closest to him. He was, he was the closest of the three inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Glory to God. He was a disciple that laid on Jesus' bosom. He told, you know, he, you know, when at the Last Supper, he was told, it was John, he told, behold that mother. But he's told, talking to Mary, talking about Mary, glory to God. John was told that he would live a long time. Peter was told, he was, Peter was said, uh, he, by his death, he would, he would glorify God. That's what we know about John. But what else do we know about John? We know that he wrote the Gospel of John. Now, let me just say this. It is contested. It, is, it says St. John on there, but that, that St. John was added later. Glory to God. John does not claim the authorship of St. John. But it has been reasonably attributed to him such as early church fathers, such as Ignatius and others who said this is what they believe. And also the testimony of people who knew John, like Bishop Polycarp. We talked about him last segment. He was a student of John. John was a little, he was a little boy up under John. Glory to God. And so we have enough reason to believe, and most scholars attribute the gospel of John to this John glory to God so in that gospel we find John revealing God and his Jesus and his deity in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh we, we, we get the connection between the great Jehovah Elohim names glory to God the Jehovah Yahweh names glory to God uh, the Jesus says I am just as, as, as he dis, uh, uh, revealed to Moses in the burning bush he says say that I am that I am this is why Jesus says I am the vine I am I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. Glory to God. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Glory to God. Every time he said that I am, he was declaring who he was. Glory to God. He told the Pharisees before Abraham was, I am. Glory to God. So John in his work after living with Jesus and being one of his disciples, he picked up his ministry and he continued, glory to God, to preach the gospel. Glory to God. He penned his, apostle, his, his gospel. Though it's not a synoptic, it's one of the four gospels. And so that was his ministry. He's got a rich ministry. Glory to God. And so not only did he contribute to the understanding of who Jesus was, glory to God, by revealing his deity, glory to God, and, and his humanity and his deity in a hypostatic union, glory to God, where he's all God and all man. Not only did he do that, 
Then he also writes three epistles that were highly pastoral in nature. Some of the language he uses, my little children, I pray that you sin not. My little children. In one of the churches, I believe, glory to God, let me turn to it real quick. In one of the epistles, Second John, he starts that off by saying, the elder unto the elect lady and her children and whom I love in truth. Glory to God. Just very pastoral in his approach. And then he goes on, glory to God. And he goes on in the third, his third epistle. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius and whom I love in truth. Then he goes on about the complaint of an uh, of a, of a overambitious guy named Diotrephus who wanted to usurp the uh, 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 preeminence over everybody. Then he talks about a person that's in that church uh, by the name of uh, 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 Demetrius. Glory to God. And so John had already done work of witnessing. You have to understand that the book of the Revelation said the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Ladies and gentlemen. And so John, through his witness and through his life, had already been active all those years after Jesus had raised from the dead. Because now we're 90 AD. Glory to God. Jesus is killed right, martyred right around 33, 34 AD. Now we're 90 AD. We are, we are decades later. John has already done much foundational work in the church. Glory to God. another assignment after the gospel of John after the first epistle of John after the second epistle after the third epistle John was given a whole another commission starting after he was banished on an island called Patmos. It was there where God would speak to him again. Glory to God. Glory, glory to God. John, I have another assignment for you. It's not an epistle. It's not a gospel. It's prophecy. The things to come. You specifically have been chosen for this assignment. 
This is the environment, the milieu in which the richness of God's prophetic plan capsulated in 22 chapters in a book called the Apocalypsis. The transliteration, the revelation of Jesus Christ. John had been told, write these things. But in Revelation 10, he said, uh-uh, I want you to now eat it. Get it in you. Down in your innermost being where it's going to start turning in your belly. But now you must prophesy again. Yes, you'd already been working. Glory to God with Peter. Glory to God. When the uh, uh, Philip the Evangelist was in uh, Samaria, they sent for Peter and John. Glory to God. John was involved in many great works. Glory to God. And, 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 and we have four books of the New Testament that's attributed to him. Five, actually. Glory to God. But now he's told, you must prophesy again. The question is, who are the people's nations, tongues, and kings that John was prophesied to. Some of the commentators said, well, see what they do is they pick up where it is in Revelation. They pick up where it is in Revelation and they say, well, at this point in Revelation, the seventh trumpet is about to blow and, they, and, and, and what they do is they synchronize it to where they are in the prophetic Revelation itself. But this is a parenthetical type of thing. This is a parenthesis. This is what this is information that's between the left and the right parenthesis here. And glory to God, God is inserting something here. So now he's not so much dealing with where he necessarily is in relationship to the seventh trumpet because he now he gets into John's personal life and says, John, you got to do this. So John is not in the future as the seventh trumpet would be in the future. He's not, he's, he's not in the future as the seventh trumpet would be in the future. The angel is now dealing with John where John is now on path with what John is in 90 AD. And he's commissioning John from his present reality of what he must do. You have to prophesy to peoples, nations, kings, and tongues. Let me give you an example of who these peoples, nations, and tongues are. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. 
New King James Version. This is how it reads. It says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed unto us, unto us God by your own blood out of every nation, out of every tribe, tongue, people and nation. In other words, they are saying, they were saying how God, how Jesus was worthy that through glory to God, his own blood, how he had redeemed a people. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. He has redeemed a people out of every nation, people, and tongue. That means in every tribe. Jesus has redeemed people out of all of these nations, tribes, and tongues. Glory to God. And so the very interesting thing about that is, is that John was going to have to be the one who shared this revelation with who? The peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. But he was going to have to do it. That's why he was told to eat the book. It was going to become his prophetic message to the peoples, tongues, tribes, nations, and kings. Why? Because Jesus had a people to be redeemed out of every nation, people, tribes, kings, tongues, all of it. Jesus had a people that he had purchased with his own blood. So this is the reason why John was commissioned to speak to and prophesy to many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. He was commissioned to do that. Now, How did that happen? Well, John may not have known how God exactly was going to fulfill this. He may not have known that. But it's one thing we have that John doesn't have. We have almost 2,000 years of Christians living on this earth. And we can look back and we can say, hmm, how did John fulfill his mission? Ladies and gentlemen, he wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote the book of Revelation. His other body of work testified about Jesus Christ. Revelation tells us the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. It, it, that is the spirit of prophecy. Glory to God. In the, in the very simplest sense, that's why we still have prophets today, because the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's why you really can't argue that there are no prophets. It's one of the reasons. 
I got a new book coming out, ladies and gentlemen, called The Age of False Prophets, where we get into all the false prophets stuff. That's another lesson. That's another time. So, ladies and gentlemen, when you think about it, in 397 AD at Carthage, when they did, when they got the the books and 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 uh, where they where the Bible was canonized, where the the final letters of which were gonna uh, books that were gonna go in the Bible was decided. 39 from the Old Testament, 27 of the New Testament. You know, two, some of the books that almost didn't make it, 2 Peter, I think 3 John, 2nd and 3rd John, and Revelation. Revelation almost didn't make it in the canon of scriptures, ladies and gentlemen, but it had to make it in. It had to make it in because God told the man that he had to prophesy to the nations, kings, and tongues. He had to prophesy again. He had already been working in the vineyard prophesying teaching about Jesus writing his epistles writing his gospel giving his gospel account breaking down the deity of Jesus Christ and the gospel glory to God titled after his name accredited to his name glory to God and then his three epistles but then he, he went through various things he they tried to boil a man in oil he was miraculously delivered from that God delivered him and then they banished him to the island of Patmos. And years later, after he wrote John, after this stuff, then God gives him a new commission and tells him that he has to prophesy. And so John has fulfilled his ministry ever since the book of the Revelation has been, read, been written. And Christians have been reading it all over the world for the last 2,000 years. He has prophesied again to the nations, the people, and the tongues. For 20 centuries now. 20 centuries. Now, who was the book of Revelation written to? That's the question. Because that'll answer who these peoples, nations, tongues, and kings are. Who was it written to? Listen to this. Revelation chapter 22, verse number 16. This is what it says. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I have sent my angel to testify of you of these things in the churches. The book of the Revelation was not released to the world. It was released to Christians. The world is not reading the book of Revelation. The Muslims are not reading the book of Revelation. The other religions, they have their own books. It was given to the church. That's who it was given to. That's who it's purposed to. Glory to God. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is what it said, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. He didn't say to the world. This was given to his servants, the people that serve God. God, the Lord wanted us to know these things because he reveals his secret things unto his saints. We're the ones he, he discloses this stuff to. 
he's not interested in disclosing th this stuff to the world, but the gospel is to be preached in the world because God has a, he's got a people that he's redeeming out of all these nations. And so this is why John was given the responsibility to take this thing to the people's nations and tongue. The question is, why didn't John say, take it to the church? He didn't say take it to the church. What he said was take it to the peoples, the nations, the kings, and the tongues. That's what he said. The peoples, nations, kings, and tongues, those are the people, the saints, the servants, the churches that God sent this to. Glory to God. And so, this is powerful because it helps us understand that there are references to the church in Revelation and the word church is not used. Again, when he was told to prophesy, Revelation 10, glory to God, Revelation chapter 10, he was told, you must prophesy to the nations, peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. These, because in those groups of peoples, tongues, nations, and kings, Christ had a people he was going to redeem unto himself. Through Revelation 5, 9 tells us. That's why they were giving him glory, because unto himself he had redeemed the people to himself from every tribe, tongue, nation, and king, all of these people. So here you have the church referred to in other language other than the church. Interesting. John has been fulfilling this prophecy in the book of the Revelation for over 20 centuries now. His ministry never stopped. Because his ministry never stopped because his prophecy is part of the word of God. And the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And is able to get between the bones and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. So then John's words and the things that he wrote are part of the word of God that has been redeeming people. That's why he was told. John himself was not able to leave the island of Patmos, but his writings would, and his writings would be included in the Bible, even though the book of Revelation was contested. They didn't want to accept it. 
but God providentially made sure that it ended up in what we call the canon of scriptures or the standard or the measuring stick of what the word of God is. It passed the test. It made it in. And by it making it in, John's words have been prophesying and going to the nations, the people in tongues for the last 20 centuries. And it's going to keep on going because it's part of the word of God. Bible says heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, pre-trib claims, since the word church is not found in Revelation after chapter 3, up until Revelation 19, then the word churches is found again in the word in, in, in chapter 22, is further evidence that the church has been raptured. So let's go back and let's deal with that. But I wanted to start you out with Revelation 10 because there we have right there where he was told to prophesy to the nations, people's tongues and kings. Now, some of the expositors say that that's talking, that's talking about John has got to prophesy again to the wicked world about destruction about to come. But that doesn't make sense. And the reason why that doesn't make sense is because he was told he had to do it. So if he was told he had to do it. That means his prophecy had to start from the time that he was still alive and wrote these things further. This isn't jumping way into the future in some time of, of, of the time of the tribulation. No, this is going back historically and telling John that he had to do it. See, if it didn't say, John, you have to do it, then we, we couldn't use John as a reference point in time and space as to when that was to start and from what point it started. See, it started at the point that the book of the Revelation was given. And that's why the, the, the angel told him, you have to do this. This is, this is an assignment that God has given to you. Glory to God. So those peoples, nation, tongues, and people are the redeemed that they were praising God over, praising the Lord over in Revelation chapter 5. That were out of every nation. These are all saved people, ladies and gentlemen. People whose names written in the Lamb's Book of God. The Lamb's Book of Life. Chapter 10, they're called the people's nations of tongue and not the church. But they are the church. Because the people that are in those people, places that God has redeemed, are people that are in the body of Christ. This is the whole purpose of Revelation. Revelation, again, was written to Jesus says, I have given this, sent this to you by my angel to write, to give it to the church. We're the harbinger. We, we, are, the, we are the custodians of the word of God, not other people. Glory to God. We're the ones that have this. So let's get into this. Why do we not see the word church in Revelation after chapter number three? There's a very simple reason for that. First of all, you have to understand there were several, seven actual churches being addressed in Asia Minor, number one. Number one, the church of Ephesus, the church of Sardis, Pergamos, Thyatira, the, uh, Philadelphia, 
on and on. Those seven churches. Each one of those seven churches has seven characteristics, such as the church of Ephesus. Ephesus was a, uh, was a thriving, bustling city of commerce. It had a great, it had a, a great harbor with a lot of uh, seaport activity, a lot of trading by the sea. But the problem with it, with, it, with it was is the silting in the harbor. Silting means that the sediment brought in by the currents deposits sand and stuff, and the uh, and the harbor becomes more shallow, more and more shallow, causing causing the harbor and its and its ability to trade by the sea to fade. Glory to God. And because of that, characteristically, this is this was also one of the issues with the church at Ephesus as they had began to fade. Their love for Christ had began to fade. Glory to God. Jesus rebuked them, said, you have left your first love. Glory to God. Each one of the cities had a characteristic that addressed also a spiritual condition. Uh, all you have to do is read uh, Dr. Leon Morris and his uh, commentary on Revelation. You'll find some very, very interesting uh, correlations, uh, glory to God, uh, uh, such as the church, uh, 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 the, the Laodicean church. They said, uh, 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 take, you, you put, put eye salve in your eyes. They were known for the eye salve. Glory to God. And they were also known they had bad water there, so they had to pipe in their water through the aqueducts. And when the water arrived uh, uh, to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. Glory to God. It was nauseous. Glory to God. But the hot spring, they also had hot springs there, and, and, and it, there were medicinal properties in the hot, hot springs, and they were able to make eye salve there as well. And so that's is why, this is why Jesus told them, he said, take that eye salve, put it on your eyes that you can see. Glory to God. This is why he told them, he says, because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of your, my mouth. Well, they could relate to that because they had lukewarm water as it was aqueduct in from somewhere else. It was started out cold, get warmed up in the aqueducts, and they, they, the water was nasty. It, it was nauseating. And so these are some of the, the things, the characteristics that we learn about these actual churches. These were actual churches. It was, on, it was on a circuit. You started at Ephesus. You ended at Laodicea. Each one of the cities were about 30, 40 miles apart. Glory to God. These were actual cities with actual congregations. God called like, like the, the, the church where Antipas, the, the faithful martyr, the faithful witness, Mart, Mart, Martus in the, in the Greek, but it could be translated either witness or martyr. Glory to God, I think it's, it's a one letter difference where you could change it. Glory to God. But the bottom line is he talked about, he talked about certain characteristics of each congregation. So these were actual churches, ladies and gentlemen. So every time you see the word church, John uses it in the sense of a local church, such as the church at Ephesus, the church at Laodicea, the church at Sardis, the church at Pergamos, the church at Thyatira. It was used in a local sense. And then, and then, uh, uh, each one of them had a, uh, uh, a statement after what Jesus was made. He that have an ear, let, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches, churches, plural. Those, that's local glory to God. Because when you get to the Pauline epistles, there's only one church as in a universal church, but we'll, we'll, we're, we're going to get to that. Okay. 
And so when John uses the word, he uses it in a local sense. He doesn't use it in a universal sense. But there's a reason why John doesn't use the word church in a local sense, other than a local sense. And it's very, very simple. The things that were given, the mysteries that were given to Paul, the gospels that were given to Paul were given exclusively to him. For example, if we go to Romans chapter 16, verse 25 through 27, this is what it says. Now unto him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. Now I want you to listen to this. Paul is calling it my gospel. Why is it called my gospel? We're going to get to that, but let me finish reading this. Now unto him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelations of the mystery which is kept secret since the world began but is now made manifest by, by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of the faith to God, to God, the only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So Paul is owning this as my gospel. Why? Let's look at Galatians chapter number one, verses 11 through 13. This is what he said. But I certify you, brother, that the gospel which is preached of me, get, it, get this again, he's owning it again, is not after man. In other words, I didn't get it from anybody else. Peter didn't give me this. John didn't give me this. Matthew didn't give me this. The Sanhedrin didn't give it to me. Uh, 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 Gamaliel didn't give it to me. He said, I, did, I was not taught this. Let me read this again. He says, but I certify you, brethren, by the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ, who ye have heard of my conversion in the time past in the Jews of religion, how beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Listen to what he's saying here. The stuff that Paul taught and preached was exclusively given to him. He didn't get it from anybody else because didn't nobody else have it. God gave it to him. So the revelations of the church, so far as it being the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, all of these things were given to Paul, the universal church, as being the church, all meaning all saints, all Christians, whether alive or dead, make up what is called the body of Christ. That was given to Paul exclusively. This is why you cannot expect to see the church in Revelation the way Paul taught it in John's writings. Because John wasn't given those revelations. Paul was. And Paul didn't get it from anybody else but through revelation of Jesus Christ. This is why you don't have, this is why John only uses the word church in a local sense. Just as the other, the, the word church outside of the book of Hebrews in the Pauline epistles is only found three other times. Once in first Peter, 
I believe at the first Peter, at the end of first Peter, where he says the church that is at Babylon and once in James, where, where he talks about, let the if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Okay. And so these guys, James and Peter didn't use the word church in the same sense as Paul did as talking about the body of Christ, the universal church, the spiritual organism making up Jew and Gentile being brought together, tearing that tore down the middle wall of partition and got that mystical union that was brought together where there was neither Jew nor Greek or, or, or male or female free or bond and all of that, all are one in Christ. That church was given to Paul exclusively and you can't look for that to be found nor in that 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 representation in Joan Hennian writings it is a categorical error to look for the church that way in John's writing so that's why you don't see it other than John using it in a local sense because he wasn't given the revelation of the church like Paul was Paul said this stuff was given to me that's why Paul called it my gospel. Paul said, I didn't get this from nobody else. I didn't get this from Peter. I didn't get this from John. These guys don't know this stuff. I know it because God gave it to me. He gave it to me alone. I'm giving it to the church. Glory to God. That's where we get that from. And so preach rep says, well, wait a minute. The church is not mentioned. Well, let me, let me clue you in on something. The church is not mentioned. Get this. Second Timothy. Second Peter, Titus, First John, and Second John. That's five books, ladies and gentlemen, where the word church is not mentioned. Now, wait a minute. Wouldn't it be a mistake to so say those books do not pertain to the to Christians because the word church isn't mentioned? You see, there are many parameters that Priest Rib has set up, ladies and gentlemen, that are theological suppositions, propositions rather. People think that pre-trib is based on a lot of sound scripture where the Bible says it just like this. They, that, that's what they think. But that's because they don't know the doctrine. They haven't studied it at a scholarly level to understand what's really behind it. All they know is they pastor said the, the church ain't going to be through, going through this. And if they ask their pastor to give him too much detail, he wouldn't probably be able to do it either. Because unless you've been to seminary and been to one of these... Uh, been taught dispensationalism at a, a, at a, uh, 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 as a seminarian, you, you wouldn't know how to break it down either. All you know is, is what some of you, all you'd be able to do is repeat what somebody else told you. Glory to God. However, here's the interesting thing. Paul didn't always refer to the church as the church. He didn't. There was another word that he used, and I'm going to give it to you. You know the word that he used? The word that we find in the book of Revelation. We find this word all through it. 
Glory to God. We find this word all through the Old Testament. Yes, this word is, is there. Glory to God. It's the word saints. Hagios. That's right. Paul didn't always use church to describe the church. Sometimes he used saints. That's right. Let's just look at a few of the scriptures. Romans chapter 1, verse number 7. To all in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace and peace from, uh, uh, grace to you and peace from our God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 27. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth the, what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints. Paul is talking about the church here, but he's using saints now. Glory to God. Distributing to the necessity of the and the hospitality of the saints. Romans twelve thirteen. Romans fifteen twenty five. But now I go to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. He could have said the church, but he said, uh uh, the saints. Glory to God. Romans fifteen twenty six. For it has pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution for the poor to the saints which are in Jerusalem. He could have said the church. There was a church in Jerusalem. He could have said the church, but he didn't. He said the saints. That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea and that my service which I have in Jerusalem may be accepted amongst the saints. Romans 16, 2, that, you, that ye reserve, receive her in the Lord as she becometh saints. Glory to God. Romans 16, 15, a salute Philagius and uh, uh, Julia and the other one and Olympus and all the saints which are with them. Glory to God. Listen to this in First Corinthians chapter number one, verse number two, unto the church of God, which is at Corinthians, to them that are sanctified, called to be saints. I dare First uh, Corinthians six one. Dare any of you having a matter against one another go to the law of the unjust and not before the saints? I can just go on and on. There's many in Corinthians by itself. But let me just switch books. Let's go to Ephesus, uh, Ephesians, rather not go to Ephesus, Ephesians. Glory to God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints. What's your right, Ephesus? There was a church there. He could have said the church that says Ephesus, but no, he's talking about the saints. Glory to God. Wherefore, I also, uh, Ephesians 1.15, wherefore, I also, after I heard your faith of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love for all the saints. Okay, I got a bunch of Ephesians scriptures. Let's, let's switch books. Okay, let's go to Phili uh, Philippians. Paul to Timotheus, 1.1, uh, the service of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Jesus Christ. See, that's, that's the church. But here he refers to it as the saints in Jesus Christ, which are at Philippi. He could have said the church, but he didn't because he uses the terms interchangeably. When he's talking about personal things and personal people use the saints. More, more or less when he's talking about a corporate thing, sometimes he uses the word church. But we can't expect other people to understand Pauline theology when they weren't taught Pauline theology. Paul was taught it by Christ. John didn't get taught that. James didn't get taught that. Peter didn't get taught that. That's why you don't find it in their stuff. And even if he don't use the word church, it's still like in Titus and, 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 and Second Timothy and the other five, other three books of five total where he doesn't use the word church. He, you know, he's talking about the saints. Okay. Uh, let's look at uh, Philippians uh, uh, 422. All the saints salute you. 
Uh, Colossians uh, 1 and 2, to the saints and the faithful brethren of Jesus Christ, which are at Colossae. There was a church there. He could have said to the church at Colossae, but he didn't. Glory to God. All right. Uh, uh, Colossians chapter 1, 4, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ uh, and the love of and the and of the love which ye have to all the saints. Glory to God. Let's switch let's switch books. Thessalonians. Uh to the end I may of Thess first Thessalonians chapter three, verse thirteen. Uh to the end he, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Didn't say the church. To the saints, okay? When he shall come to be glorified with all his saints, Second Thessalonians 1 and 10. First Timothy, glory to God, we reported uh, of for good works, well reported of for good works. She gave, she, ha she have brought up children if she have lodged, lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet. Saints. Philemon, hear, hearing of the of thy love and faith which thou hast towards Jesus Christ unto all saints. Hebrews, for God is not unrighteous to forget your, your, your work and labor of love which you have showed towards his name that you have ministered unto the saints. These are not Paul, well, Hebrews is not a Pauline epistle. So I just, I'll just stop there. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, clearly, when Paul is talking about the church, he doesn't always use the word church. He uses the word saints. But saints has been a word for the believers of God forever it's been like that. I mean, you find the word saints all the way back, glory to God, in the Old Testament. Glory to God. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Glory to God. In our next segment, glory to God. Well, just let me, let me, let me, I, I got a few more minutes. Let me just do this. Okay, now. Revelation chapter 20, verses four through six. Let's read. It says, I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years was finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed, listen to this, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death have no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, pre-trib teaches that the folks that's left behind, Tim LaHaye and all them, the folks that's left behind, these were kind of like second-class citizen Christians who couldn't quite make the muster for the rapture. So they got left behind. So even though the Bible in Revelation clearly teaches Antichrist will make war with the saints, 
clearly teaches that. Let pre-trib tell it Well these were folks that was left behind And they only get it right After the church is gone Well The Bible doesn't say that Pre-trib says that See this This is what I'm trying to get people to understand Pre-trib Has to create Another group Of saints because it's clear that the saints are still here in Revelation 13. So since they teach that the church is gone after Revelation 3 and you don't see the word church anymore, and we already covered why we don't see the word church because Paul did because John doesn't use it like Paul does and he doesn't use it to describe the body of Christ like Paul would do. He only uses it in a local sense. And you can't look for Pauline theology in John Hennian writings because it's a categorical error. So you have to use, look for the other word that even Paul used, which is the word saints. It's the same word that Daniel used. In Daniel chapter 7, we was talking about the same thing. That the little horn would make war with the saints. That he would, they would persecute them for time, times, and the dividing of times. It's, Come on. These are God's people. And this is such a special group of people that Revelation spotlights. Glory to God. Revelation spotlights their own judgment here in the first resurrection. It's not the totality of the first resurrection, but they get spotlighted in this because they are a special group of martyrs who get killed during the tribulation. When the, when the Lord was talking to the souls under the altar, let's, let's, let's turn to it. Glory to God. Revelation chapter 6. Glory to God. Verse 9, it says, And when he opened the fifth seal, he saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest a little season, a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. These are, the reason why these are seen under the altar because these are sacrifices. These are very special to God. God is saying, listen, I am going to go back. I'm going to avenge your blood. So that means at this point, the, the wrath of God had not kicked in. He had not come back yet. He had not, he had not done all that yet. He said, he's telling these that these had the rest. These are all these souls, all these martyrs from down through the ages. Glory to God that were waiting on revenge of being martyred. Glory to God. He said, wait a minute. This See, God knows exactly how many of these people is going to be. He says, look, there's more y'all that's coming. There's another group that's coming. We got to wait on them before I go back and get them. He said, we going to come back and get them. Y'all going to be with me, but it's not time. We can't do it yet because there's some more of them that got to die. God, there's a certain amount of martyrs. There's certain ones. And these martyrs are seen very special by God. This is not some second class group of saints that get left behind because 
because that's how pre-trib left it. That who get converted and and uh, during during the tribulation they get converted because they, they, they got to go through death and all that. And then they got to prove they self. That, that's ridiculous. These are saints, ladies and gentlemen, who were sold out, who loved not their lives until the death. This is what it says in the book of the Revelation. They love not their lives until the death. Let's go to it real quick. Revelation chapter 12. Glory to God. Listen to this. Verse number 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Can modern day Christians stand like those other Christians stood in the first three centuries of Christian history? That's the question. That's who these souls under the altar are. All them tens of thousands of Christians who were murdered, cut in half, chopped up, burnt up, set on fire, turned over the wild beasts. And, and, and they are waiting. They're ready to say, God, can we go down and settle all accounts? He says, no, because I got another group just like y'all who going to be another wave offering, another martyr offering, another those that are going to glorify me with their lives unto the death. Glory to God. And so when we go back to Revelation 20, we see the thrones of them. It says, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, the tribulation, as, as the pre-trib calls them, tribulation saints, was not the tribulation saints. It's the last generation of church saints. They are in the first resurrection. First resurrection includes people who did not get the mark of the beast, ladies and gentlemen. That's the point. Notice this. There's 17 comparisons between these saints and the church saints. I, I separate it like that because I'm making a point. They really shouldn't be separated, but I'm doing it to make a point here. I won't have time to go through all of them. Glory to God. As a matter of fact, you know what? I'm already an hour 39 in. You got to turn into the next. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to leave you hanging for real, though. Look. Tune in to the next chapter of the Revelation Revolution. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods. I love you for real, though. Tell your friends, spread this message. This is powerful stuff. We've got to inform people. Again, if pre-trib is right, listen, we out of here anyway. What Nothing's lost, right? If this stuff is wrong, we're going to have a whole bunch of people abandoning the faith because they're going to feel left let down under the severe persecution. And as things clo draw closer to the end, it's going to become more obvious that we're still here and it's going to be obvious real soon that the church is still going to be here folks are going to know it then but a lot of folks are going to jump ship they're going to do what a lot of people did in the first second and third century they're going to abandon the faith and and, and it's going to be too late for them 
glory to God. These would be the ones who end up getting the mark of the beast and all of that. So we have to, ladies and gentlemen, look at all of this. We're going to continue this conversation. We have just started. Trust me, this is not, this is a long conversation and we're going to continue. We love you for real though. Tune into the next one. In Jesus name, God bless you. You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.